1: morning. It's Tuesday, September the 12th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, artificial light pollution can have all kinds of impacts on the environment. Lawrence Gunther will tell you about some of those impacts... And offer up solutions. A new school year means it's a new opportunity for accommodations in post secondary education. Laura Bain will discuss the importance of those accommodations. And it's another edition of the weekly news quiz. Fresh faces, fresh voices being put to the test as they go tete a tete a tete. Elizabeth Moeller, Karen McGee, and Amanda. Chikarchi. The Weekly News Quiz is not just a trivia show. Most weeks, it's a game of chair roulette as well. The show begins with the top story of the day, and this one comes from technology. It's an American story, but you know when the elephant that is the American legal system moves, the mouse that is the Canadian legal system moves too. U.S. prosecutors are taking Google to court starting today. It's the first time a big tech company in the United States has faced an antitrust trial in nearly 25 years. Mike Dubusky
2: sets the table. The Justice Department and a group of states are suing Google, alleging that it uses its dominance in the search engine market to stifle competition. They do this, the government says, by striking exclusive deals, like one with Apple to make Google search the default on iPhones. The company, in a statement, says people don't use Google because they have to, they use it because they want to. The trial is set to last 10 weeks, with several tech executives expected to testify, including Google CEO Sundar Pichai. Mike Dubusky. ABC News.
1: Now, there's a little more context here. Antitrust is obviously a big deal. So, reporter Derek Dennis offers a bit more perspective on the story.
3: A search engine accessed by some 8.5 billion users daily, handling an estimated 99,000 queries per second, is accused of stifling competition and creating an online monopoly. Google is uh, accused basically of of buying its way out of competition. Uh, The allegation is that it made a bunch of deals with mainly with Apple, to uh, prevent other search engines from getting a foothold and, and challenging it. Columbia law professor Tim Wu says a win for Google at trial will mean business as usual. A loss, he says, will allow for more search engine options
1: from competitors. Reporter Elizabeth Shugel has some more insight on what tr- prosecutors are trying to prove exactly.
4: What the Justice Department and several state attorneys general are alleging is that Google abused its dominance in online search. So as a search engine, that it became too big and that as the biggest, most dominant player, it basically cut out competitors or potential competitors in that space. So basically what the government is arguing here is that Google violated antitrust laws as the gatekeeper of the Internet and that something needs to be done to hold Google accountable.
1: And one more, you know, secure packs. The FBS providing MG. These digital keys that people put on their phones. What happens if your battery dies while you're out and about? You got to go charge your phone to get to your charger. There's some irony there. It's like ordering X Acto knives off of Amazon to open your Amazon packages. You can get yourself into a pretty vicious cycle. Coming back to Canada, literally. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and his delegation are on the way home from India. Mickey Juric has the latest.
4: Wheels are up. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is heading back to Canada after being stuck in New Delhi. He was here for the G20 summit and was supposed to leave Sunday, but a mechanical issue grounded the plane and the entire Canadian delegation. A technician was able to arrive this morning with the part needed to fix the plane. Trudeau and his delegation are flying home on the plane they came in on, not the replacement plane that was brought in or the second backup plane that was waiting in England. Trudeau is expected to be home just in time for the Liberal Caucus retreat. Mickey Giudice, the Canadian Press, New Delhi.
1: Now, Mickey Giudice was part of that uh, crew traveling with the prime minister. In fact, if you missed yesterday's show, I forgive you although I'm only going to forgive you once this week for missing the show. You should check out the podcast, Michelle McQuig of the Canadian Press stopped By, and talked about what goes into covering a large-scale event like the G20 and an international delegation like the Prime Minister went through over the course of the last week. So find that out on uh, yesterday's podcast. Look for Now with Dave Brown on your favorite podcasting platform. That's your look at the news. Here come the daily polls at Accessible Media is where you find the show on Twitter at Accessible Media Inc., is where you find the show on Facebook. Yesterday, there were conversations about Lego Braille sets or Braille Lego sets. So it prompted the question, what is a child hobby that you have not given up? 15% of you said Lego, 23% of you said puzzles, 54% of you are like me and said video games, 8% of you said dolls and action figures. A few other votes included crafting and DIY. That was something, is it? And someone me <laughs> (laughs) On their farewell tour at the last minute, one of those shows is tonight in Toronto. Frontman Steven Tyler injured his vocal cords over the weekend. For the delay and Cecilia so phone things, Archie. for conversation here. I know the instinct is probably no, but if you put yourself in the shoes of someone who bought a plane ticket and got a hotel room, it doesn't matter a couple thousand.
5: Then answer. So I was with and
1: here she was able. She was not able. She was able to get a refund. You said she said she couldn't cancel it. I'm, I'm confused. She
5: couldn't cancel her train ticket, but they said she can exchange it. Okay, exchange. Okay, okay. okay. There you go but she still ended up coming in um we ended up doing something else that day but um regardless of that i definitely think that when everyone's preparing especially commuting to go to concerts like i think that people should get a refund for the concert tickets and you know if possible get refunds for you know be airbnbs or hotels that they might be staying at
1: yeah, I, I can see how this is, ends up being a real nightmare to develop a policy like this. How do you know if somebody's truly out of town? Because, for example, I live in Toronto, but I still have an Ottawa area code on my phone right? Uh, People's credit cards, you might say, oh, their billing address has such and such a postal code, which is out of Toronto, but they might still live in Toronto. So it becomes a little bit of a mishmash and confusing to try and execute this, but Elizabeth, what I'm feeling, Elizabeth Moeller filling in for Alex Smythe today, what I'm feeling this morning is just a little bit of empathy. I'm envisioning that person from Winnipeg who flew in last night, staying at a hotel somewhere in downtown Toronto, probably paying a couple hundred bucks a night for the hotel room, probably Paid a couple hundred bucks for the plane ticket, and now even if they get a rain check for the concert or they get a refund for the concert, they're not truly getting the Toronto trip they were paying for.
6: Yeah, it's a real dicey issue, Dave. I struggle with this one. Where do you draw the line? So, if I booked a first class ticket from Winterpeg to Toronto to see this concert, and I'm staying at the Royal York when am I expecting all of that to be reimbursed oh, or refunded? <laughs> first, you know, so Elizabeth,
1: how... Elizabeth, first of all, I want your travel agency to start booking my travel. That sounds like okay, a good dude, time. We'll talk,
6: we'll talk, we'll talk. But where do you draw the line? And I wonder about, you know, this is, this is a tricky situation again. Like I always get it costs more, but I always get a train ticket that I can refund or exchange. Now it's tough if you come, like you're saying, people already here. That's a little bit of a tricky situation too. perhaps like travel credit up to a certain amount, but I worry that this could be balloon and become really ugly with people putting in all kinds of requests and, and how do you monitor it? And then there's the staffing that would go into that. So I'm empathetic. I certainly missed Hamilton and Les Mis due to COVID. We were able to get a credit, not a refund, but it's a very tricky situation from this sort of staffing perspective. So I'm I'm on the fence with this one.
1: Yeah, in terms of the people working for uh, Ticketmaster, Live Nation, mm-hmm. whatever the yeah. concert promoter made, significant service fees when- we buy do. these tickets, so maybe those yes. service fees should go towards uh, getting me some Helping refunds us. or getting some yes. kind of insurance. I like—I don't know. I, I again, I, I think what's really important here is that. I'm talking about short notice. I'm not yeah. talking about three or four or five days, because even when you buy some of those, quote, non-refundable tickets, you can typically negotiate with the airline or negotiate with the hotel. Yeah, getting credit. They're, they're typically understanding to a degree on what they'll give mm-hmm. you. And again, yeah. I'm going to reiterate, the jurisdictional mess that might kick in here trying to enforce like, a policy like it. this is work. like really, really difficult. But yeah, I don't know, I just, uh, I, I, I feel for these people who are in Toronto listen i'm sure they can still have a great night they can go to the blue jays game against the texas rangers it's not quite aerosmith but it's something they can uh, go check out some local bands at some dive bar around the city there's no shortage of stuff to do here but it's definitely not an aerosmith concert uh, and if especially really stuck, they can watch the
6: show they
1: can well, watch our show <laughs> yeah they they can watch our show and like the real other side of this too is steven tyler when you're talking about a vocal cord injury that uh, mm-hmm. that allegedly was causing bleeding from his throat over the weekend Again, by the way, I can empathize that happened to me in 2019, uh, dangerous, dangerous, crappy times. It's possible Steven Tyler might be done. You, you At his age, if you sustain a <laughs> vocal cord injury like that, Elizabeth, it might be over, finito, done.
6: Yeah, I mean, certainly I agree with refunding the concert tickets, and I think there does need to be some consideration about the policy around travel, but the mess around how do you, like you said, how do you prove where you are and up to what amount and what are the circumstances under which you would refund, those would have to be ironed out, and I think that's where it gets tricky.
1: Big time. There is going to be more music talk later in the show when Amanda Shikarchi reviews Olivia Rodrigo's new album, but for now... You can vote on the poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc on Facebook. You can also send in emails, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or give a phone call, one 509 4545 one 509 4545 Coming up after the break, AMI's got a whole mess of original podcasts for you to enjoy. You know about a bunch of them, but uh, it's always good to get a refresher with AMI Podcast Coordinator Ryan Delahanty. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. it's now with dave brown on ami tv in about one hour laura bain is stopping by to talk about the importance of accommodation and post-secondary education well, that topic is timely. It's also a topic that the pulse on AMI audio is exploring. Joda Gupta always tackling substantial issues. The latest episode considers how colleges can be made inclusive for students from marginalized groups. Ryan DeLahanty is AMI's podcast coordinator, and Ryan has some insight on that show and other AMI original podcasts. Hey good morning, Ryan. Morning, Dave. Thanks for having me back. Ryan, always great to chat with you. As always, Joita with The Pulse is keeping her finger on The Pulse. Therefore, this episode is timely. Who did Joita bring in for this interview about inclusion on campus?
3: In the latest episode, Joita speaks with Patty Douglas, inaugural chair of student success and wellness in the faculty of education at Queens University. Uh, The position may be the first of its kind in the country where Patty will be liaising with community students and faculty to explore what can be done to better engage historically marginalized and excluded groups such as students with disabilities. And in the interview, they discuss disability inclusive approaches to higher education and the research engagement and programming that they plan to. To develop and create uh, to create an environment where all students can thrive and belong in education and life.
1: There's a clip here from the episode. In the clip, Joita asks Patty why Queens University chose this moment to introduce the role and why Patty is the right candidate to oversee this pioneering work.
7: Coming out of my own experience as someone with an invisible disability, someone who's neurodivergent as well as a mom and a former special education teacher and from a family, in fact, that is full of disability advocates, um, right back to my grandmother. So my vision has been to create the conditions in which all students, all learners, all people can survive or not just survive, but survive and thrive. And I think it was the moment that we uh, connected you know, I think COVID and being post-COVID, in which those exclusions and uh, and marginalizations were really laid bare, is another factor. The faculty at Queens is a tender and kind faculty that are invested in making this question um, their legacy. Quite frankly.
1: So issues of occlusion on campus are really tangible and I think easy to understand, but Joita is also great at exploring more abstract issues. So in another episode, Joita is interviewing someone about the issues of transnational and transracial adoption. Ryan, these are terms that are charged, and they're charged because people maybe don't understand them. How would you define issues of transnational and transracial
3: adoption? Uh, you know, we they'll get into all the issues surrounding it. But in terms of the, the definitions, uh, we have a transnational adoption in my family. Uh, my aunt and uh, uncle, who lived in Mississauga, adopted uh, two children from a Romanian orphanage about uh, 20 years ago. Thirty years ago, maybe now, and so uh, that would be a transnational adoption. The children coming from Romania, uh, but where they were, uh, you know, white presenting at least, uh, wouldn't be considered a transracial adoption so the transnational adoption when someone adopts a child from another country brings them to live in the adoptive parents home country transracial or transcultural adoption means placing a child who is of one race or ethnic group with adoptive parents of another race or ethnic group Uh, in the u.s these terms usually refer to the placement of children of color uh, with from another country with caucasian adoptive parents so who is joita bringing in for perspective on this This was such a a compelling interview. It's the August 31st edition of The Pulse, where Joita speaks with Lydia, X. uh, I think she's American, so XZ Brown, maybe not XZ Brown, about uh, disability and uh, transnational adoption. So Lydia XZ Brown is a American autistic disability rights activist, writer, attorney, and public speaker, chairperson for the American Bar Association, Civil Rights and Social Justice Disability Rights Committee, Policy Council for Privacy and Data at the Center of Democracy and Technology, and director of Policy, Advocacy, and External Affairs of the Autistic Women and Non-Binary Network. So incredibly accomplished and uh, brilliant, brilliant interview. So quite fascinating and some really enlightening information about some terms and concepts that are broadly misunderstood in our society today. Yeah, that's one of the things The Pulse is really
1: great for, these deeper dive interviews about topics that sometimes require a little bit more perspective. There's a clip that captures a bit of the conversation where Judah asks Lydia about the original definition of the term transracial.
4: This is honestly an angering topic to discuss because the word transracial was originally coined by adoptees to describe our experience and particular positionality politically and geospatially within our lives, our communities and our families, both of origin and adoptive families. The term transracial only came to be associated with certain white people cosplaying as people of color because of Rachel Dolezal, who used this word intentionally and knowing what it meant because her white family had also adopted black children. She has transracially adopted black siblings. She knew what that word meant, what it signified, the origins of that term, its political positionality and yet she chose to steal and co-opt it and erase the history of it so thoroughly with the power and influence of whiteness that even some people of color do not know the origins of that word now and associate it only with those kinds of white people pretending to be black or native or asian just for fun for the appearance of fleeting social capital that disappears because they will never know what it is like to actually live in a negatively racialized body.
1: So you can find The Pulse Saturdays at 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. You can also find episodes on demand by searching for The Pulse on AMI-audio on your favorite podcasting platform or on YouTube. Or you can also visit ami.ca slash thepulse for more information. Lots of points of contact for you there. Ryan, you are not simply monitoring the work of folks on The Pulse. You are doing a whole bunch of coordination in the podcast department. So there's a bunch of new seasons popping up here in the first week of the fiscal year in AMI. So shows like AMI Podcast Roundup and the Audiobook Review are back. What are uh, some of the changes on those shows this year?
3: Got a a brand new yet very familiar host for podcast roundup. So that's Amy Amanti. I'll be serving as a producer or co-host along with Grace Caulfield handling the technical side, making us sound good. This weekend we're featuring some highlights from now with Dave Brown and Kelly and Ramya. You know, you may have heard of them. Nice. And uh covering uh Back to School, Back to Productivity, and uh Back to Hurricane Season, which we're we're uh, anticipating maybe some uh some of that in uh, Atlantic Canada this week. Uh over on AMI Audiobook Review, uh Powerhouse Trio Ramya Amouthin, Nizreen Abdelmajid, and Jacob Shamansky oh have uh joined. So forces. good. They're so good. And, oh yeah, absolutely. And so it's always a pleasure to hear uh, Uh, audiobook review now with them every week and uh, they're doubling your weekly dose of everything audiobook so that show's expanded to one hour and you can catch new episodes of ami audiobook review saturdays at 1 p.m eastern or find it wherever you get your podcasts and it's followed by the pulse and then at 3 p.m catch podcast roundup with amy amanti and uh, yours truly
1: uh, Ryan, not to pull back the curtain too much, I get a chance to listen to the recording of the audiobook review every week because it occurs in Studio 5, uh, <laughs> not far down the hall from me, and the audiobook review show itself is excellent. The banter and chatter after the show could be a podcast all in and of itself. I adore oh. spending time with Nazarene, Jacob, and Ramya, and I oftentimes burst into their studio and offer up my thoughts as the conversation evolves. So, uh, yeah, I'm the person who affects their productivity if those podcast files ever get to you late.
3: You just go all Kool-Aid man, bush through the wall <laughs> yeah. and uh, interrupt what they're doing. Oh, oh yeah,
1: oh yeah. <laughs> uh, Ryan, got to be quick on this one. I feel like you and I have not spoken probably
3: in like two months. How was the summer in Halifax? It was good. Uh, very successful with the softball team. God was on our side as uh, any game that would have been difficult oh, it was rained out and forfeit and we're uh, in the championships next weekend. And I uh, got to see a couple of great shows at uh, Jazz Fest. So that was really nice seeing Digable Planets. Uh, opening uh, for them was Maestro Fresh West, who's uh, based out of Fredericton now. Nice. And uh, then uh, Sudan Archives, who were one of my favorite newer acts. And that was just amazing. She was solo... Uh, violin you know r&b hip-hop and just amazing and then uh, that was with bad bad not good who were always very good so uh, those <laughs> are some great shows definitely some highlights people
1: sleep on how much fun there is to be had in halifax in the summer all, you know all these torontonians thinking they're the center of the universe halifax has more fun uh, ryan thank you for this have a great day
3: thank you talk soon dave
1: that's ami audio podcast coordinator ryan delahanty coming up after the break Artificial light pollution can pose an issue for nature and the environment. Lauren Gunth, Lawrence Gunther will explain, explore some of the bigger implications. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. back it's now with dave brown on ami pollution comes in many forms you know like trash on the ground that's obvious sometimes it's a little less obvious you have to look to the sky like artificial light pollution at night lawrence gunther has thoughts on artificial light pollution lawrence is the host of outdoors with lawrence gunther hey good morning lawrence morning dave So, Lawrence, I I think it's pretty much understood in the name artificial light pollution. Okay, that's light. It's artificial. It pollutes. What constitutes it? Like, what are examples of artificial light pollution?
0: Well, buildings, you know, that night, any sort of light source at night, intense light source that glows up into the atmosphere and then bounces off the cloud cover, the mist, the the haze in the sky and creates a sort of sky glow. So it could be sports fields, it could be factories, it could be open pit mines, it could be stadiums, highways, airports. You know, our apartment buildings, uh, office buildings, even our own homes, Dave.
1: Anything that emits light. Yep. Okay. That's good. I'm, I'm so, so glad, so glad that, uh, that, that we, that we, that we laid that out in a way that was totally understandable. Uh, Lawrence, how big an issue is artificial light
0: pollution? Dave it's it's disrupting you know the circadian rhythm of of uh, insects animals pollinators you know it, it's imp- impacting the ability of our plants to uh, produce fruit and flowers so yeah this is nothing uh, this is not small they've done studies and 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 Sky glow is a significant issue. They say about 80% of the world population now lives in uh, areas where there's sky glow impacting their ability to see the night sky. About one-third of the world population can no longer see the uh, Milky Way galaxy. And uh, yes, there's there's some, you know, it's, it's definitely getting very bright out there.
1: Okay, so... Every now and then in media, I like to sort of divide things between actual problems and then issues that are of a great inconvenience, uh, mild inconveniences that are great, uh, that are perceived as great inconveniences. Whether or not I can see the Milky Way, like really doesn't matter. But what does matter is the impact on wildlife. So how does artificial light pollution end up impacting wildlife?
0: Well, you can imagine that wildlife, you know, they've never had candles or you know fires or anything like that to uh, to give themselves comfort at night so they become closely evolved with the uh, the various light cycles of the day and of the night you know the moon cycles the starlight that that tells them when and how to hunt how to uh, pollinate at night a lot of small creatures come out at night because they feel safer so they're they're moving about they're finding flowers they're they're you know pollinating plants and fruit plants they're avoiding being predated on they're you know having their day night cycle it's it's very important to them when we start to influence that with uh, with sky glow with artificial light even in cities you know plants and wildlife in cities is and and insects and so forth they lose track of day and night and and uh, it becomes problematic for the, for the whole evolution of life the whole circle of life
1: yeah, the raccoon in my backyard is getting a little chummy because because uh, his day goes a little <laughs> bit longer now with, uh, with light pollution. Uh, Lawrence, you said the word pollination. Mm. Obviously, that's a really important thing when it comes to, you know, feeding ourselves. What have studies said about artificial light pollution and pollination?
0: There's a few studies out now. Uh, a study conducted in the UK, they watched moths, they're pollinators, and they said at night, uh, 70 to 80% of moths will choose to go towards a street lamp as opposed to the uh, plants that need pollination by those uh, insects. Other other nighttime pollinators uh, under bright light in uh, near cities and around sources of bright light they may choose not to pollinate at night because they feel vulnerable. Yeah, performance perfor- performance anxiety. Well, that's and and you know, they've got bats and other uh, other animals that feed on these pollinators that come out at night. so those those predators understand that the insects they want to eat come out at night to pollinate, and they're they're waiting for their opportunity. And if, if those insects don't come out to pollinate because they feel vulnerable because of the light, then those predators are then going without their food source as well. So it, it, it knocks on throughout the whole food chain, right? You know, from the plants that create the flowers and fruit for us, from the insects and their ability to pollinate, and from the predators and their ability to eat those insects.
1: Like you mentioned, Lauren, this Lawrence, this is a human-created problem. We are the ones who've created the light pollution. So it's not up to the animals to fix it. We have to fix it. So you've got six tips here. You brought a six-pack with you today. Just my favorite kind of pack of solutions <laughs> or suggestions on yeah. what humans can do to reduce light pollution. So start with number one.
0: Number one, we can uh, turn off our lights at night. So instead of leaving our room lights on and the lights shining out through our windows, our offices, our workspaces, our homes, you know, close the curtains or turn off the lights as you leave the room. So there's less glow coming from our, our homes and office spaces. Number two. Number choose light bulbs that are give a warmer light and less of the uh the blue purple spectrum. Light that is below three thousand sort of um uh Kelvin in warmth. And that that'll also make a difference. Number three. Uh number three is is Uh, In terms of light outside, you know, we all want to have light outside for safety, but instead of having lights just on all the time, put them on timers or put them on motion detectors or or light-sensitive detectors. That way they come on when they need to come on and they don't stay on any longer than they should. Number four. Visit a a night time sort of a a sanctuary where there's no light and this is so amazing when you can find a space where there's no light glow even if you have a little peripheral vision or central vision or or some sort of vision you can you know adjust your eyes and your to to that very no light situation and and you'd be surprised that you'll be able to see some actual natural light in the sky developed by moons and stars and such.
1: Number five
0: Number five is.
1: Um, <clears throat> Hang on, Dave. I, you I'm lost. You, tr- you you lost your place. By the way, I can already tell <laughs> you skipped over number four, which was supposed to be shielding outdoor lights.
0: Oh, shielding outdoor lights. Yeah, yeah. So so shades. Right. So instead of uh, a big glowing uh, light that shines in 360 degrees, like streetlights make sure your city and town is using shaded lights, So the lights just shine down and and that should be on all lights that we put for safety along paths. It should be very directional. And that way, even when you're walking around and if you have light sensitivity, the light isn't going into your eyes and, and giving you night blindness yourself. It's not going up into the skies. It's just shining down to give you the security and the ability to walk in, in, in safety.
1: All right, Lawrence after consuming five, I'm feeling a little tipsy. What's number six.
0: I don't remember. Plants, pla- plant,
1: plants a moon garden.
0: Plant a moon garden. There you go. So so you want to have some flowers and, and, and plants that, that attract those nighttime pollinators. Plant it in areas of your yard that have no light and make sure you keep the light off. So those animals, those insects. You know, we're losing insects. Uh, the number of insects around the world is, is diminishing. It's up to us to give them habitat. You know, we hear about butterfly gardens and things like that. And, and wild plants are, that we put in our yards during the day, we can also do the same thing for those uh, insects that come out at night.
1: See, there you go. Making sure those insects don't have that performance anxiety that you mentioned before. Lawrence, that yeah. is light pollution. You are going to be mm-hmm. doing some audio pollution as always on Outdoors with <laughs> Lawrence Gunther. What's coming up on the next episode?
0: Well, right now we've got our episode on. I'm really excited to uh, play with the uh, you No know, Be My Eyes chat GPT-4. You know, figuring out what color my fishing lures are, Dave, has always been uh, something my family hates because it's. A, I get them, my lasso one of my kids, bring them in. Okay, tell me what color this is. What's up, you know, read me the packaging. And, you know, they have to describe these bizarre colors. I I now use this chat GPT-4. It's amazing. Oh, it's right absolutely on. amazing. I have to tell it; it's a fishing lure. Sometimes it argues with me, It thinks it's a jackknife or something else. But uh, you know, I I can educate that thing, and I'm teaching Chat GPT four how to how to identify fishing <laughs> lures of all sides. This is how useful for everybody, David. You see this and, uh, we, this we also, I,
1: I th- this I love Lawrence because there's so many media stories about artificial intelligence with pearl clutching and fear mongering. You're having yeah. fun with it. Well done by you, my friends. Oh my God!
0: This is a to Dave. This is a life Changer for me, uh absolute life changer. I love it. And uh, and then we're talking to a friend, he's uh, has diabetes, he has a dog, he was uh, evacuated from uh yellow yellow knife. So, what what does that mean, you know, for him, for his access to his uh diabetes medicine wow. for his dogs, and all that. So where that's going on. And coming up on Sunday, coming out on outdoors, we're talking to Ron Walsh. He has that fantastic outdoor show on AMI TV day and ron and i talk about hunting about utv our favorite choices for utv he talks about his muzzle loader technologies we talk about ice fishing a blind by yourself on a patch of ice in the middle of nowhere all by yourself for three or four days at a time Uh, how do you do that without getting lost on the ice yeah
1: that now we're painting a picture here it's fallen lawrence is already thinking about the ice fishing lawrence (laughs) have a great day always great chatting with you
0: Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. That's
1: Lawrence Gunther. He's the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. You can catch the show weekends at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. In 60 seconds, Elizabeth Moeller will have the weather story of the day. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minutes.
8: Canada's main stock index got past a little weakness in energy stocks and got a boost yesterday from financial and tech stocks. Toronto's TSX index ticked up 108 points to close at 20,182. New York's Dow Jones average gained 87 points and the NASDAQ index surged 156 points. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 308 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 73.66 cents US. Cineplex says last month, brought its third-highest August box office revenues of all time as Barbie and Oppenheimer continued to be popular among moviegoers. The Toronto-based company says August revenue was $68 million. The company saw its strongest combined results for July and August ever. Cineplex is anticipating crowds of fans will flock to theaters in October for the Taylor Swift Eras Tour concert movie, which has already brought in $4.7 million in pre-sales. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo,
1: thank you very much, Karen. From the world of money to the world of weather, let's bring in Elizabeth Moeller for weather reports.
6: In devastation, oh. even when there are fewer strikes. Wildfires raging across Canada have torched more territory than ever before. But lightning, which is the cause of about half these blazes over the years, has been striking the ground at a rate well below average. New federal data shows that drought is a main driver of this destruction. The parched land is primed to ignite because Canada is experiencing its driest spring and summer since Ottawa began mapping the precipitation of every corner of the country. The intense drought in many parts of the country means fewer strikes can cause just as much or more damage than in the past, wildfire seasons. The desiccation also means that there is less moisture to feed the convective clouds that spawn lightning. It is the drought that has really set the table for everything. Lightning does not always hit objects on the ground or the earth itself in a single clean bolt. As of September 5th, 3.15 million strikes of lightning have touched the ground from the clouds this year, according to the Canadian Lightning Detection Network. In August, Federal officials forecast that this year's brutal wildfire season will continue into this month. So far, an estimated 16.5 million hectares have been burned across the country, dwarfing the 10-year average of 2 million hectares. Tens of thousands of people are only now returning home after evacuations in BC and the Northwest territories, with thousands still ready to leave their homes at a moment's notice if their communities are further threatened by nearby fires.
1: Elizabeth, thank you for this. Talk to you a little bit later in the show. You bet, thank you, Dave. That's Elizabeth Moeller with the weather report coming up next, hee-haw! Who's in the mood for a good rodeo? Dust off your cowboy boots, get your 10-gallon hat ready. Community reporter Anna Kim tells you about this year's Olds-toberfest in Alberta. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. You may have noticed a couple of things have been different since September the 1st. That's because AMI's fiscal year starts on September the 1st, and therefore there were some changes to the show, which means fresh faces, fresh perspective, and fresh voices, just like Anna Kim. Anna is the show's newest community reporter based in Alberta. Hey, good morning, Anna.
9: Good morning, how are you?
1: I'm doing fantastic. I had the pleasure of speaking with you a couple of weeks ago about your experience at the Archery World Tournament in South Africa. Mm-hmm. How's it been here? It's been a couple of weeks since that interview. It's You've been back for a couple of weeks. How, uh, how How's it coming out of that major tournament?
9: Uh, well, I don't know if there is such thing as uh, South Africa withdrawal, but if there is, I definitely had it. And I was just heartbroken for a solid three weeks after the tournament. I wanted to go back. I still do want to go back. Um, but you know now I'm getting back into kind of the swing of things and I'm looking back on pictures saying I miss it so much. And I kind of have to think, well, now is school and I have to get back into routine. So fine. I will <laughs> I'll leave that you know part of my summer behind for now. But I'm already planning my next trip to South Africa with some friends.
1: So, so it wasn't just the tournament and athletics thing it was south africa itself that really spoke to you
9: oh yes the the scenery there i mean it's a lot kind of like alberta where you drive you know 2 hours in any direction and you end up in a completely different environment But I got to go to Cape Town. I got to go up to the Northern Cape, to the Eastern Cape. And each time it was a different, you know, the Cape Town was nice and green. The Northern Cape was just pure desert. The Eastern Cape was a mix of both. And then there's the food and the people and the culture. So, I mean, it's not only the tournament that I absolutely loved, but I got to do all the cool tourism things. And then I got to go do some hunting. And I just miss every aspect of being able to be with my team Um. and meeting all those people. It's just, I'm a people person at heart. And so I'm like, I, I need those interactions.
1: Anna, you mentioned that it's coming back to reality a little bit here, getting into the grind of student life. What are some of your plans for this year? How is settling in for the year going?
9: This year, it's it's not bad. I actually had knee surgery a little bit ago, so I was confined to my living room floor for about the first two weeks of school. So, yesterday was actually my first day back in person because I had been doing online, and so now I'm really getting into the swing of things. And so I have this first semester to go. I have math, physics, and social studies, and then I did half of my grade twelve year last semester and the second part of my grade eleven year. So after january technically i'm graduated and then i'm hoping to move up to edmonton to start work with uh ideally with the legislature as a page and then university or college next year oh my year. gosh
1: oh my gosh staying busy through and through uh, well well done by you i i can barely keep my agenda uh, on top of things and it sounds like yours is pretty darn packed there so <laughs> so i don't know if that gives you enough time to attend a rodeo but folks in old alberta this month can take part in oldtoberfest what makes this rodeo stand out from the others
9: this is a rodeo that is western rodeo mixed with the bavarian culture the only bavarian rodeo that i know of at least in canada and that's what it says you know it's a fascinating combination of two literal different sides of the world
1: (laughs) i can see how maybe rodeo and bavarian could in theory uh, combine themselves here what do you think they have cracking here in terms of food and beverage
9: Oh, of course. There's you know a beer gardens, and then I I didn't seek too much on the website about you know food trucks, but I would think that they'd take in you know local local food trucks or um, local uh, restaurants to come in and, and cater. I know at the rodeos that I've gone to, they have a, a concessions, and there's obviously you know, things like burgers or hot dogs or the the classic rodeo food, right? The thing that is is unhealthy and greasy. You take the <laughs> weekend and you really just soak it all in.
1: Ah, the Dave Brown special through and through. Uh, what, what, what are some of the needs to know before somebody goes?
9: Uh, well, this event is happening on Friday through Saturday, so the 15th and the 16th. Um, you can camp. There is a campground near the, the rodeo, so if you want, you can go and camp, or there's hotels in Olds, and throughout the day, they'll have things like pancake breakfast, and you can really go and, and look at Olds, because, I mean, I don't know about you, well, I'm Karen, never mind, you're all the way out there. But I don't know about a whole lot of, of Albertans, but I haven't been through Olds a bunch. The only way I heard about it was uh, driving through it for a college tour. And it's a cute little town. It's got a lot to do. So you can go and explore through the day. And then the doors open at 4.30 for the rodeo to start. And there's the mix of, you know, the, the rodeo, the classic, you know, Albertan stuff, roping and everything. And then there's concerts throughout. So there's concerts inside in the beer garden. And then there's the big concerts afterwards where everyone kind of just gathers together and sings their hearts out.
1: <laughs> it sounds like some uh, pretty fun shindiggery. I've, I've never been to a formal rodeo. I, I think in this side of the country, it's a little bit more like fairs. Uh, oh, I guess so. So, but, like, obviously that doesn't really have the rodeo component to it. I feel like that's a whole new extra layer of spice. I, I, I feel, it feels like it's a lot of fun.
9: As, as a through-and-through through Alberta girl, I've been to my fair share of rodeos, and they are fun. There's the, Everyone is always, you know, you're there for the same purpose. You're there to, to watch people, you know, ride Bronx, or you got the mutton-busting with the little kids, which is always super cute. And I always love rodeo because, naturally, the announcers are already very descriptive. So even if, you know, I'm sitting up in the nosebleeds because everyone took all the good seats, they didn't see I was coming. I was so hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and they they are naturally very descriptive as to what's going on. So you know, although I can't really see it or they look like tiny little blobs, I can get a picture of of what's happening to the rider, what's happening with the little kids, or you know what's going down all in the arena. And that's why I love going to rodeos is you got a bunch of accepting people and then you have some really exciting announcing that's already very, very descriptive, and then you got the bad bad good food for you <laughs> and it's just rodeo is is just a great atmosphere to be around it's so energetic and and lively there and all the animals i love animals you got all the animal smells
1: do do they let you pet any of the animals or are, are there petting zoos set up or is that just for the kids or is that like kind of I,
9: i wish i could have found out if there was i was going to ask about you know what with the possibility of being a touch tour as far as the rodeos that i've gone to the access to the animals isn't great but i mean right. that would be talking to one of the organizers <laughs> and asking would there be able to be kind of a admitting pet or mini petting zoo because i mean I would go and pet
1: a horse any oh, day of the week. Oh my gosh! You know, so so I tell you what: when you and I start a rodeo, we'll we'll make sure there's a, a petting zoo component to it.
9: <laughs> I, I like that idea. That's a good one.
1: Look at this! Look at look at us! Uh, look at this Ontarian trying to improve Albertan traditions. <laughs> uh, no one ever talks about that in Alberta. Uh, Anna, thank you for this. Nice to have you on the show again. Looking forward to chatting with you a bunch this year.
9: Thank you.
1: That's Anna Kim, community reporter in Wetaskiwin. Alberta. Don't forget, if you want some links to information, like for example, uh, more information about the olds Stoberfest rodeo, you head over to our blog after the show, ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. In one minute, Amanda Ciccarchi will have a review of the new Olivia Rodrigo album. But first, teachers are talking about the prospect of artificial intelligence in the classroom. Mike Dubusky takes on that assignment in Tech Trends.
2: Randy Weingarten is the president of the American Federation of Teachers, and she says AI tools like ChatGPT will have a big impact this year.
8: AI is to kind of English what the calculator was to math.
2: And she says while the tech can be used to great effect in the classroom, it comes with several key risks.
8: It will be
4: really, really, really powerful. But we have to deal with the privacy issues, the security issues, the disinformation issues, the accuracy issues. She says in her
2: view, an under-discussed concern about AI is its equitable distribution.
8: We have to make sure that the poorest of our kids have access to this, which means that there needs to be funding to make sure that the tech is available.
2: With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Debusky ABC News. Thank you
1: very much, Mike. Mike was pulling double duty today. He was also on that Google antitrust lawsuit I was telling you about earlier. Mike Dubusky, busy man over there for ABC, just like Amanda Shikarchi is busy with the entertainment report. Amanda, one of your favorite artists dropped their much-anticipated album, and you have thoughts on Olivia Rodrigo's Guts.
5: Yes, thanks, Dave. I've literally been listening to the album nonstop since it came out. Last Friday, Olivia Rodrigo released her second studio album, Guts. The theme of growing up is prominent both in the heartfelt lyrics and in the maturity of the production. The tracklist also enhances the listening experience as each song smoothly transitions into the next. At the end of the first song, there is a knocking sound. This transitions to the beginning of Bad Idea Right, where there's a sound of a door opening. To get a sense of the growth in this album, here's a clip from the song Logical. So Dave, what do you think of the album as a whole?
1: My thoughts are irrelevant. I thought it was pretty good. I'm not the biggest pop music fan in the whole wide world. I really enjoyed some of the slower songs like that logical song really enjoy when olivia opens up that vocal and lets herself be a little bit more of her individual i'm not crazy about more of her wall of sound stuff i just think it's a little too messy for my taste but amanda i'm not the olivia rodrigo fan i you know i'm I'm a casual what do you think about the album
5: i agree with you i really enjoyed the slow songs, and as you said like those vocals are very heart quent, like clenching for me. So, I enjoyed that. Um, definitely, there's a few songs that I still, you know, want to listen to a bit more. But right now, I would say nine out of ten on my rating whoa, scale.
1: Whoa, <laughs> whoa, that's like that's big, that's huge. <laughs>
5: yeah, well, you you know how it is. Um, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on. Artists usually, when they're, it's interesting how they arrange their tour sets. Sometimes it's all new songs, sometimes it's older songs, sometimes it's combining them both. What is your tour set preference?
1: So, when I'm going to see a new emerging artist like Olivia Rodrigo, They've only really got two albums to pull from. They can set up their set list however they want to, as far as I'm concerned, because I'm probably gonna hear all the songs that I like. But when I saw the Foo Fighters earlier this summer, a band that's been around for over 25 years, or actually almost 30 years since their first album was released, then they've got to be a little bit more careful, and they balanced it beautifully. They played three or four songs, smattered throughout the show from the new album, and then hit you with the hits the rest of the way. Kept me engaged as an audience member. But I do acknowledge the point of touring is to move albums. So... You gotta sell tickets to your tour, you've got to play a couple of the hits, but you've also gotta get people familiar with your new stuff, so I don't mind if they wanna go with three, four, five songs off the new album, especially if it's not a nostalgia act, right? Olivia Rodrigo, Taylor Swift, these are contemporary artists. Even Taylor, has been around for almost 20 years now, or 15 years, whatever you wanna say, she's still a contemporary artist. I got no problem with her wanting to perform songs off the new record when i'm going to see a nostalgia band like the foo fighters or if i'd gone to that aerosmith concert tonight i want to hear the hits don't play any new stuff play the stuff that i like
5: yeah i'm totally with you on that especially for new albums i actually get excited to be like how are they going to perform the song live so i like having the new albums but then sprinkling the few songs of nostalgia in there is always such a nice touch
1: Yeah, absolutely. Amanda, thank you for this. You're taking part in the news quiz in about an hour, so brush up on some of these news stories.
5: Yes, thank you so much.
1: (laughs) That's Amanda Shikarchi with the Entertainment Report. Coming up after the break, I've got the regional news updates, and Brock Richardson has a sports chat. He has some updates about what's going on with the World Bacha Championships and how a couple of the para-athletes are doing. And then I am going to berate him about the Buffalo Bills And we are maybe going to laugh at New York Jets fans after Aaron Rodgers hurt his Achilles, possibly very significantly on the fourth play of the game. Yeah, could be some fun stuff coming up after the break on Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv.